This is Grace Grit and Getting It Done, the podcast for women who want to focus on their personal development and their professional priorities, increase their earnings, expand their influence, and advance up the leadership ladder all the way into the C-suite. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. My podcast, Grace Grit and Getting It Done, offers a practical guide for women working in the corporate arena. Weekly episodes feature conversations with recognized experts, authors, and influencers. I'm covering topics from navigating corporate culture and coping with gender bias to prioritizing self-care and managing work-life balance. For more information, or if you'd like to contact me, send an email to lisa at bigsky.coach. Who's getting promoted in corporate America? Well, we know that men and women are entering the workforce equally. It's about 50-50. But we also know that men and women are not getting promoted equally. Seven out of every 10 men who enter the workforce are moving into the ranks of management. But only four out of every 10 women who enter the workforce are moving into the ranks of management. So we know the opportunities for advancement are not the same for women as they are for men. But wait, there's another stipulation. Those seven men who stepped into the first rung, the first step of the leadership ladder, and those four women who made it onto that first rung, that first step in the leadership ladder, all share one important characteristic. They're Caucasian. They have white skin. These numbers are significantly different for people of color. The data shows that four out of 10 men who are a person of color will move into the ranks of management, while only two out of 10 women who are women of color will move into the ranks of management. And this is what we call the broken rung, that first missing step onto the leadership ladder for people who are not male and Caucasian. Hi, my name is Lisa Gillette, and you're listening to Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done, the podcast for women who want to focus on their personal development and their professional priorities so they can move into a role of higher leadership and make the change that is so needed at this time. Now, the first step on the leadership ladder, the first step into the ranks of management, is missing when it comes to all women of all color and men of color. And we call this the broken rung. But there is another phenomena that occurs within the ranks of management. And this is referred to as the leaky pipeline. When people, but especially women of all colors and men of all colors, will choose to leave their job because one, they're not afforded the same opportunities for advancement. They're not provided the same access to resources. And they're not able to achieve pay parity. So this phenomenon of the leaky pipeline actually became even more obvious during the pandemic, where many people, men and women of all colors, left their jobs. And this was referred to as the great resignation or the big quit. Now, none of this is theoretical. If you're wondering where I pulled this data from, this is a recent survey just from October 2022 that McKinsey did in collaboration with Lean In. But I want to share that there is a ray of light with this talent drain on corporate America, particularly in management, because today many CEOs are beginning to realize when senior management is diverse, when there are a number of different perspectives in the room, both men and women, people of all colors, 
people of greater diversity, the solutions are also more diverse and they're more viable. When the workplace is inclusive, the opportunity for all employees <coughs> to receive recognition, promotion, and pay equity is greater. There's greater employee engagement, there's greater satisfaction. And you know what? That creates a higher return to the bottom line. Today, we are talking about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I realize it cannot be just a topic of conversation. It has to be a focused priority and that there's still a lot of work to do. And this is why I am so honored to introduce my guest, Brian Wright. He is the epitome of an emotionally intelligent leader. And he's also the co-founder and the president of Max Edwards Company and the CEO of the HBCU Creative Incubator. Brian is an expert in collaborating with senior management to create a culture of diversity, equity, and inclusion that not only creates greater employee engagement, but also a higher revenue stream. Brian is a champion of talent, emerging leaders, and he provides the expertise, the guidance, and the support. So Brian, welcome. I'm so thrilled you're here. Lisa, I appreciate you so much. I want to take a minute just to say your your work here uh, resembles what you were doing at Fox Sports when we worked together. And I've seen a lot of the impact that you've made on people that were a part of your teams and how they've gone on to flourish. So just congratulations on keeping this uh, amazing mission going. We are partners in this endeavor, Brian. Yeah, this is really important. So I, I'd like to ask, I, I just gave a really thumbnail overview with a lot of data, but you know, what is the really big issue that you are working with every day to try and create greater DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion in the workspace? I think the biggest challenge right now is that people, and I'm saying from a senior leadership standpoint, even down to the practitioners and the people that are working in it every day, oftentimes we're challenged with getting everyone to agree that this is a business imperative. Meaning, you know, hey, we're trying to attract audience for shows. We're trying to broaden the audience. We're trying to monetize our content. We're trying to think through uh, workflow issues and new technology. All of these things are a part of the DNI infrastructure that needs to be cultivated. And if we're not all in agreement, obviously we're not going to be able to get through the tough times or eventually achieve the goals that we're saying that we want to achieve. So that's one of the things that I think just is a low line fruit. Let's just all agree that we need to get to solutions and build the infrastructure for it. Sorry, let's not mute myself. I know a lot of the building blocks that are essential to the infrastructure really start with senior management. When you come into a conversation with senior management, what are some of the topics that are top line for them? And what are some of the lessons that you wanna encourage them to embrace? One of the first things that I hear from senior management that even endeavor to invest in and try to make these changes is it's more emotion and it's more of a 
legacy question um, and also perception. You know, are, are we seen as being a part of at least the group that wants a solution versus, you know, people that aren't a part of that, um, that endeavor? So, you know, I say this to say oftentimes the DNI person that's usually under resourced and solo, a solo voice in the wilderness is then forced to talk people into what the next steps are or how we can collaborate to get to solutions. And I think that is counterintuitive to how we actually get to the solutions. One, the executives need to believe that these things can change and we can make an, a social impact as well as a business impact. From there, the DNI person is coming in to shape how we get there, you know, um, provide guidance and perspective to the course of the ship versus spending a lot of energy convincing them that the, you know, the role that I may take on or others take on is legitimate, that it should be there. And think about where there's going to be um, several barriers as, a, as it relates to the, the business itself. So whether um, the business is doing well, whether they're in the midst of a change, um, let's say there's workforce struggles, cultural stru struggles, these things would hamper the ultimate goal of being focused on DNI and and, and building the infrastructure. And the reason right. why I say that is, having gone through some of this um, this challenge before, I feel where um, the senior leaders need to adjust is saying, "Look, let's get everyone on the same page that this is going to happen. We're going to make a successful change." And that momentum, I think, would allow the DI person to have a lot more influence over the slight adjustments that are needed in all the different functional areas. And next thing you know, you're now building. You have the building blocks yeah. that you spoke about earlier. Yeah, that is so insightful. I love that. It really does start with collaborating and convincing senior management. So, Brian, you talked to a real challenge that I think many many leaders face who are that layer right under the most senior leaders, which is trying to convince the CEOs, the head of the company, the head of the institution, that this is a critical need. And if they don't address diversity, equity, and inclusion in their ranks, there is going to be this enormous talent drain. So when you start that conversation with the most senior person, with the CEO, what are some of the topics you really need to hone in on? Well, I think the, the first thing that I have tried to do is show that I understand the business. And even if that takes me time to get out to the different functional areas and you know analyze and, and gather information, all those things are critical to coming back and having a a substantive like business conversation. Now, <clears throat> oftentimes the executives see these endeavors as separate. They don't see DNI and the strategies that we're trying to implement as critical to the business. So if the business is going through something that's very challenging, um, takes up a lot of time, resources, DNI is seen as sec second. And so it's very difficult to 
convince senior execs that this is an area that should be focused on if they don't see it as totally in parallel with their business objectives. And I think that's the one thing that has been an, an interesting challenge, but it's also something that needs to be done to eventually change the narrative of how DNI can be effective and um, really support businesses' growth moving forward. Right. I also know that, you know, we were talking very top line and with some senior leaders at that thousand mile view, um, everything on the ground looks perfect. But when you come into employees who are actually frontline doing the work, they are aware of the need for diversity, equity, and inclusion among their ranks, and that this is something important that senior management espouses. When you come at it from the other direction, starting to build that DEI infrastructure among employees, what are some of the steps that you take to actually communicate to employees, hey, here are some things you can do from where you are in the organization? Well, one of the things about diversity, equity, and inclusion is that it's almost that the order is flipped. Uh, diversity and equity are destinations. These are results that you've obviously worked towards and you've eventually hopefully achieved. Inclusion is definitely a part of the process of bringing people along with you. But, you know, one of the people that I was exposed to early on in, you know, joining a organization and um, being in a DNI role was from a white male Christian that asked, how do I fit into DNI? And the discussion that we had was, it's about balance. It's been, you know, the message has been co-opted to where obviously we're out of balance oftentimes as relates to ethnicity. We're out of balance as it relates to gender. And so to be able to work to get back to balance, there's a lot more effort placed on those areas, but it's not that other people are left behind. So I think one, managing the messaging of what the initiative and the infrastructure is all about Two, if you tie it to people's core business so if it's what they're doing every day and we also show how them giving back engaging with their internal employees to be able to really cultivate their stretch their backgrounds cultivate their development that's a part of dni um, if it's cross collaboration to where, you know, oftentimes you hear about, you know, can finance people talk to creatives and can creatives talk to technologists? That's diversity, equity, inclusion. So we're talking about a balanced, optimal workflow and environment that speaks to the business imperative. And then guess what? If you give us that infrastructure to work with, the DNI people can connect to other talent communities, they can hyper-focus on different people internally to affect um, retention and development. Now we're in that momentum stage that we were discussing earlier that we can really make an impact. But so oftentimes, again, either the message, resources, or focus are co-opted, and it makes it a very difficult whack-a-mole kind of situation to really get to the point that we're making an impact and being able to sustain that impact. I, I love that because, you know, in corporate, which that is both of our backgrounds, 
there is that focus on the bottom line. And it's only when something goes seriously off the tracks, like what we saw with the pandemic, where senior, senior leadership says, oh, we have a problem. Like the supply chain needs to be interrupted for them to finally say, oh, we have an issue. So I spoke a little bit about what gives me hope is that some CEOs are beginning to understand that greater diversity, greater perspectives, wider perspectives at the decision-making table are really, really critical. If you were gonna share a piece of advice with someone who was in a mid-level management role to embrace DEI and to make it a priority so that they could actually not only better what was going on for their team, but for the company as a whole, what are some steps you could share with that middle level of management? Great question. And I think this is um, a part of, we talk about executive coaching or learning and development. So oftentimes the programmatic training or curriculum is separate from people's day-to-day -day jobs. So I like to focus much more on where you're saying, let's focus on the person's job and then how they can use these additional tools and strategies to help them. So one of the, the steps that I would say is really identifying the core business struggles that they go through. Um, think about it, we, we, we oftentimes learn workflows, there's a precedence, there's a tradition on how you handle things, there's a process. But if you ever had to deviate from that process, do we have the, back to, you were giving me way too much credit, but in terms of emotional intelligence, the, the anal you know, self-analysis, the um, you know, strategic kind of innovation, to figure out, I don't have to keep doing something a certain way if I'm getting pushed back or if it's not working out the way that I want. That said, passing that information on and engaging your team on those um, challenges and solutions is a way of stretching them. It's getting them to think beyond the process, which helps their development. Then from a, let's say, employee resource group standpoint, from, well, going back to the core business, maybe it's the cross collaboration. So now you're engaging different groups on, hey, we've identified this challenge. How can we all collectively come to um, some understanding on how we might be able to solve them? Then you leverage your employee resource groups, your business resource groups. You can even attach to your nonprofit and charitable or corporate social responsibility work because those outside organizations in the community would also love and benefit from understanding what your business challenges are, what you're thinking about in terms of process and solutions. And so next thing you know, you've actually paved the way for the supply of talent to be more acclimated to your business, to have a passion for your business, to understand the uh, skills, technologies, competencies that go into high performance. Now we've created a DNI infrastructure and ecosystem that is ready to support that manager's goals. And if they're able to achieve their goals, now they'll be recognized from senior management. Obviously, you know, again, there, there will be um, monetary rewards and all those things, but that's what success looks like. Yeah. That is what success yeah. looks like. I love that. I, I love your practical problem solving ability. Brian, I wanna take a little bit more of a look back at this point and, and just ask you, um, how did you get started in this leadership development business? Because that's really what you're doing. You're developing, encouraging, and supporting emerging leaders and leaders. 
Sure. Well, one of the things that I always share with people is that I am third generation human resources. So literally my grandmother started a jobs program in Pasadena, California, working at the Rose Bowl. All of the young people from the different schools were able to wear, wear yellow event staff shirts and get that initial experience. Number one, just working, you know, getting paid, uh, showing up. But then on a deeper level, teamwork, customer service, um, executing plans that management was setting for us. So there were a lot of things that went into the building blocks. And I, I learned from that. Um, I was a part of it, but I obviously learned from it from a strategy standpoint. Um, my father spent 45 years in human resources as well as an executive in the tech industry, um, both in the Los Angeles area and in the Bay Area. And so I was exposed to that very early on. Um, had one of the first laptops ever that looked like a sewing machine from Compact. And it was you know, one of those things of learning, again, tools, processes, um, applications of those, those things for uh, different needs. And then, look, I come from, you know, living with my mom. She worked 33 years at Allstate, just a hard worker, um, loving, you know, care for the community, family. So the combination really helped me when I entered the, the business world because um, I started at Universal Studios Recreation Group, and we were um, doing the senior staffing for Universal's Islands of Adventure in Orlando before Orlando was Orlando. I got a chance to work with some really amazing uh, executive recruiters and a visionary um, uh, lead uh, person who was starting basically an in-house uh, search firm. And the reason why I bring this up is it was all about an established business, but we were working entrepreneurially inside of this established business to do something that hadn't been done before. So literally in leaving that job, they forced me to force me to write a manual on being a coordinator for all of those different recruiters. Because again, me being able to um, graduate and move on to being a recruiter for the studios was all about how do I pass that information on to someone else? So that, think about it as a young person, being um, applauded for having enough knowledge that they wanted me to pass it on was a real big confidence boost. Um, went into Universal Studios Hollywood where we were hiring 2,000 to 2,500 people per year. So how do you do that? Um, that wasn't just people showing up and wanting to get paid 515 an hour. It was one of the executives I work with um, was from uh, an outside company and he said, we can't just sit back and wait for applications to come in. You got to go out. So he encouraged us to do info sessions. So that was us knowing enough about the business, knowing enough to answer questions from a broad set of people, but going out and sharing with them how to get hired at Universal Studios. And so, again, always problem solving, always trying to figure out how I can be successful as a recruiter. And that just continued on. And so when I eventually got into television, I started to realize that there was a push for diversity. Now we didn't have specific departments that we leaned on initially. It was just a part of what we did as recruiters. So we went to all of the um, different talent communities, conferences or industry associations or professional groups, started to engage people in the same way that I did the early on at Universal was how do you get a job 
how do you succeed? How do you advance? How do you overcome challenges? And through that, just listen, it was practice. Alan Iverson said it best. We're talking about practice. So the practice of continuing to share this information over and over again ended up leading to me coaching internal people that ran into challenges, candidates, people that were exiting the business and wanting to help them network and get to the next opportunity. So, I mean, fast forward to now, I was able to use a lot of the tools, strategies, and network that I had built to join my father's company, Max Edwards. And really, you know, we, we double team trying to provide not only HR support, but talent acquisition support, media training. And although I lost him in 2017, the foundation that he set with me was how do you build a better talent acquisition function, continuous learning. And we came up with four quick things that I want to share. Um, oh, please. One, there's yes. a, yeah, there's a system of development personally that everyone can go through. And, and I obviously apply it to myself every day. Self-analysis. Where are you today? You know, where is that GPS on where you are? You have to also have a sense of where you want to go. In between there, there is a vast architecture and path, you know, large pathway. And you could choose to go different routes to get there. So how do you do that? It's through practice. So we call that self-directed development, where you don't have to be given a job to figure out how to be successful in that job or what high performance looks like in that job. And there you're able to identify role models and people that you feel are doing the best of the best um, in that space. You can then research their backgrounds. You could take um, examples of projects that they've worked on, and that feeds how you form your practice. And then lastly, you want to try to leave a legacy of excellence with everyone. Obviously, we're human. We fall short. Um, I'm going right. to be thought of in one way by some people. I'll be thought of another way by other people. But where you are in your core you constantly have that self-analysis so you're grounded in what you can do. And then guess what? It's it's a rinse and repeat situation where you just, it, it continuously is evolving and you get better and better at identifying where you want to be, practice. And you know what I call that? You're defining your own success. So those are the things I would um, share that is it's just a, a process that I go through. And again, human, Still struggling through, you know, my own all challenges, but all of us try to make yeah. an impact every day. Now, Brian, I know that you are working on a new project that we've talked about, and I just I would love our listeners to hear because I just find it really exciting. So please talk to us about this new project, the origin, and where you're taking it. Oh, thank you so much. So I, I want to give an example of something that I had. Um, you know, heard about and, and kind of seen happen in the um, in the industry. And it actually started with me finding a nonprofit that was supported by the George Lucas Foundation. It's called Edutopia. And I, I, I think I heard about it on NPR, which all the NPR listeners out there, but Edutopia uses a project based approach to improve high school and elementary um, education. And the challenge is a lot of 
young people are not as engaged in school as they can be because, again, the curriculum is antiquated and they're not learning real life applications and don't really understand the importance of some of the tools and um, the things that they're learning and how it's going to help them in the future. So it's funny that the George Lucas Foundation obviously has come to prominence because of all the successes he's had you know, on the business side. So starting back with Star Wars, he was asking visual, visual effects people, or maybe they didn't have those titles back then, that he wanted a different look and feel. He wanted certain things that the industry traditionally couldn't provide at that time. So he was a little ahead of his time, obviously. So he eventually sent some folks off to work on it on their own. So he you know, wanted them to not worry about the day-to-day, just work on these visual effects and then come back to me and let me know what you have. Well, that function was so successful. It has become Industrial Light and Magic, which is the largest and most successful visual effects company in the world. Right. All started from a project, an incubator, a way of people experimenting in a lab on how to be successful. So the one thing that I have learned in my, in my most recent uh, companies and clients is that building an infrastructure for DNI, it can only be legitimized through us actually doing real life work that solves a business need for those companies. And so whether it be in the short form content space, social campaigns, promotions, marketing, etc. I want to put as many people through the process of learning that business and being able to learn about themselves, but also learn what industry needs are. And so we're creating something called the HBCU Creative Incubator. This is through a collaboration with different companies, as well as individuals that are all expert in their fields. And we're going to be going out to various schools and aligning the talent from those schools with real life business challenges that companies face. And so by broadening the group of people that are helping the industry uh, members solve those issues, we're actually broadening the pipeline of people that will be vetted, skilled, and ready to jump into various opportunities. But, oh wait, there's more. The goal really, (laughs) The goal really is to create entrepreneurs. What people don't realize is in the entertainment industry, it's really made up primarily of freelancers. Right, right. So as you're a freelancer and you become known as that freelancer, guess what? You're actually an entrepreneur that runs a business. You're just the product or what you do is the product. So as we can fill pipelines for freelance entrepreneurs, And then also people that may decide that they want to work in-house, all while solving businesses' needs. We are now kind of connecting the dots on making a DNI infrastructure that lasts. And then the other part to it, which is, again, I I keep adding more layers to this cake that's delicious, is (laughs) (laughs) the, the core for employee resource groups and people internally, as we were talking about earlier, that all are looking for ways of shining, finding advancement, stretching their skills, transitioning to new areas, 
they need opportunities to work on these same things as well. So who are the best project advisors? Who are the best mentors for this, you know, the talent pools within the incubator? Internal employees. So right. where a company as a client can show their internal workforce that they're dedicated to not only their development, but the development of pipelines for the future, this is why you keep your employees because people are like, wait a minute, my company is dedicated to something I'm passionate about. And then they're also investing in me aside from my day to day job. Now we're actually creating an entire ecosystem of professional development, but also business solutions development. I think that's where I mean, again, this isn't a patentable situation. The goal is to influence other businesses that this is the future of recruiting, project-based engagement, challenging people to stretch their skill sets, and having it be a part of an infrastructure that not only builds the, again, solutions for businesses, but also gives the talent pools and local communities access that they haven't had before. And that's where I think we'll achieve a success for this future of work future workforce um, development, all the objectives that we have for those two areas. I love that because you've come at it from both sides. Well, all sides, honestly. The corporations need to keep the talent availability flowing because people do age out of jobs, people retire, but also to the employee engagement where they're actually able to work with potential hires and talk about what the culture is and what is needed and support that nascent talent coming in who's got this opportunity to actually, and I'm going to use a corporate phrase, play in the sandbox of the real world without that Absolutely. judgment. Yeah, that's just, wow. And, and, wow. and just to add to this, same thing for the internals where how do you get people real life supervisory experience? Oftentimes, exactly. the best person in a functional area is elevated to manager with very little managerial experience. Yeah. Right. So what's happened is they're actually experimenting in their real role of managing people. And oftentimes it's a question of do they crash and burn or they succeed? This would give people a safe practice space exactly. to start to demonstrate some of those supervisory and leadership skills, but while growing the supply chain of talent and addressing current business imperatives, right, right. current business needs, which again, that's, that's the uh, connectivity that we're looking to do. Yeah. And I think that will change everything. That's the win-win. Brian, I want to ask you about another project that uh, is ongoing right now that is really has had such an important impact and made such a great contribution to our veterans. And that's the AT&T Veterans Media Fellowship that you created and supported and you know you you made it happen please talk about how did that start and um how did you do it because that was a big initiative so, oh no i i appreciate you bringing this up and funny enough there was just the uh what would you say the the success story of um the original fellowship continues on with the veterans and entertainment summit that just happened the past couple of days um, what I will tell you is in partnership with a pretty amazing organization, Veterans in Media and Entertainment, 
uh, I, I, we, I mean, this was several years ago, so they were 4,000 members. I'm sure it's much higher than that now, but, um, right. you know, huge, huge membership base that are all, um, creatives and technical people and, you know, operators and from all branches of the military. But this organization is, is expert in how they create community, um, train people, put them in position for opportunities, whether it be internships or full-time, you know, freelance, et cetera. And then lastly, I think this is where, you know, if I've had any influence, um, this is where, you know, I would want to point to is really how do we build the infrastructure where they're not just a charitable target or a corporate social responsibility uh, partner, but how can they be seen as more of a direct, almost vendor and part of the infrastructure to various businesses, helping them solve business issues? And so the AT&T um, Media Fellowship was, was built on going to AT&T. They already had the relationship. We don't want to just create another training program. How do we do something that's much more engaging? And so we use the project-based almost micro studio mindset. And the goal was for us to bring together a group of veterans that would work on internal communications, PSAs, mimicking national campaigns that they had, and then also special projects with different divisions. And I'll tell you um, about that shortly. But so the goal was to emulate what people inside of the business are doing, real life work. And then what we did was we layered the support back to the veterans with, obviously we had speakers, we had mentors, we had project advisors, and then the core team from VME, as well as um, you know other professionals to all kind of continuously provide support and guidance. And through that ecosystem that we created of real life work and then also guidance and support, I believe over 75% could be much higher, all got jobs in the business and are thriving. And so this is, this is an interesting point. So one of the um, senior leaders of Warner Brothers or Warner Brothers uh, Community Engagement at the time, um, she's now head of community engagement on the Warner Brothers Discovery side. Okay. She always, well, I, I guess it was a year before, had a Veterans in Entertainment Summit. It was in person. Obviously, the pandemic hit, and she was trying to right. figure out how to continue this. So we were going to do a virtual one, and she came to me like, hey, what are your thoughts on this? And I was always mm -hmm. pushing to get her thoughts on how we can create the next layer of work for the veterans that we just trained. Right. So she empowered us to bring on six veterans that acted as segment producers for the Veterans and Entertainment Summit, executed that year. From that point, those same veterans have been running the summit every year after this, to this point. And obviously the content and their impact has gotten better and better. And so we, that an infrastructure was built to help these veterans constantly be an impact on, and I'm telling you, there's probably 10 plus um, studios, 
you know, other uh, entertainment brands and production companies, mm-hmm. networks that are all part of the summit now. And they're all getting exposure to these veterans. And it's just creating this amazing pipeline. So listen, I, I can't take credit for hardly any of it, but the goal was for me is just seeing this project-based infrastructure um, take life and kudos to everyone that's continuing to lead it. They're doing a great job. And I'm just happy that I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm super blessed to be able to see it. One thing that I really want to point out here in this whole process was that you were ready to go with a program, with the functionality, the way it was running, the systems of it. So when that senior person came into you and said, hey, we have an issue, we can't go live, we've got the pandemic, we we can't be in real life, what do we do here? And what was so funny, you so graciously said, I had been trying to engage with her to put this on her radar to say, hey, let's go. And this is a note for all the listeners, being success happens when you are prepared and there's an opportunity and you slide in and you may not have all the answers like brian had a fully formed program in his mind that he could execute so to all the listeners just remember that you know it's not failure if it doesn't turn out exactly the way you might want it but i love the fact brian that you're so altruistic and you're so much about developing talent because that is so needed at this time Brian, kudos. Again, if you want to reach out to him, I highly recommend you do. You can find him at brian.wright, the last name is W-R-I-G-H-T, at maxedwardscompany.com, or check out the website for more information. That is www.maxedwardscompany.com. And I want to just conclude by speaking to all people listening to this podcast whether you're male or female, whether you're a person of color, you're white, whether you have a disability, whether you are diverse in some other way I haven't mentioned, we need to be working together to create the change and make the difference that is so needed at this time. So stand up, speak up, reach out, reach out your hand to someone who needs help in entering the workforce. You can be, a pro- you can be an agent of change And we need that at this time in the world. Thanks for listening to Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done. I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. If you'd like more information or to contact me directly, send me an email, lisa at bigsky, B-I-G-S-K-Y dot coach. Lisa at bigsky dot coach. Thanks for listening.